right. Welcome to the uh, grand Stephen King Captain Trip Spectacular Special of the Nightmares podcast. Um, so I'm just curious of the three of us here who actually got that Captain Trips reference. I, I sure as hell uh, no, didn't. No, nobody. Nobody's a real Stephen King fan. The uh, <laughs> did you so, just okay. shame? Did, did you just shame me, sir, into not yes. being a Stephen King fan? Yeah, I never claimed to be a real Stephen um, King fan. I just like some of his movies and uh, the Maximum Overdrive trailer. No, uh, Captain Trips <laughs> is the virus that wiped everybody out at the beginning of the stand. Oh wow! Uh, that's that's a that's a good uh, you know you would win in a bar trivia contest, sir. But that is about it. Oh um, my! Actually, uh. I just, I literally just remembered this when Zach and I saw Bruce Campbell at Music Box a couple years ago, he was hosting like this trivia game show type thing. That was fun. And there was a round that was open to really anybody, I think. And he was naming <laughs> Monster from a Stephen King book. And you had to guess what book it was from. And so it was like Killer Car, Answers Christine, um, Killer Dog, Cujo killer virus nobody got it and i had my hand up i was too far away from him for me to, for him to see me nobody got it but it was the stand nice nice so hey, hey brennan you you want to say you, little, but it, it is but when you're specifically talking about stephen king there's re there's really only one what about I, I think that would be cell phones I, was that really a virus, though? I mean, it was kind of a virus. But was it like an actual... I don't want to call it bacteria, because bacteria <laughs> and viruses are completely different things. They really are. Um, they are. Let's not get into a science debate. Hey, Brendan, you want to uh, uh, share who's, uh, who's yes. hanging out with us? Welcome uh, back to the podcast. Uh, Rob Benny of Cucurbitophobia. <laughs> Yeah, yes, that's it. You got it. You nailed it. God, I love watching Brandon become like a hooked on phonics person every time he tries to pronounce your damn name. It's 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 one of the very small joys of my life. We all um, just sit here in anticipation, just like, is he gonna get it? Is he gonna get it? Is he gonna? Get it? He got it. So so so. By the way, for our, our whole audience and everything else, Rob uh, Rob specifically requested if we ever did a Stephen King one, he's like, I gotta be in on that. So we actually said hell yeah to that. And then, you know, and obviously something I want to announce publicly, we did talk about a little bit beforehand, uh, but Rob has been a tremendous supporter of the Midwest Horror Network on Facebook and in other media sources. Um, uh, you've been sharing all of our stuff. I try to share it as much as I can, but you are collectively kicking all of our asses when it comes to sharing our own content. So I, I really, from the bottom of my heart, um, uh, you know, and, uh, and I speak, I'm sure I speak for Brandon, Zach and David, unfortunately, who is not here, um, that we, we really thank you for being a supporter and a fan of this podcast and this network. Um, uh, so, so yeah, brother, at the, at the bottom of my heart, thank you very much, man. You're very welcome. And thank you for inviting me back again. It's, it's really cool to, you know, discuss horror and anything related to horror fiction, especially Stephen King with anyone. So I'm so, totally appreciative of that. Absolutely, brother. And then, uh, so Brandon and I had a quick chat before before this podcast, and we made a, a determination. Um, uh, and it actually was a rule more more for me than it was for anybody else. Um, we're not going to be basic with this conversation. Um, uh, so we're all gonna we're all gonna say that it chapter one was great. Um, uh, the Shining is great. It chapter two is questionable. 
and we're going to leave those movies over there because everybody talks about those movies. Um, everybody talks about them constantly when it comes to the Stephen King list. Mark, I am I am 100% guilty of this. I am I, the first person to admit that I am very guilty of this. So we're going to keep those movies off the table. I'm sure we all agree that those are awesome. And I'm sure, Rob, you would agree as well um, that that is the case. Oh, yes. So yeah, those are those are all great. I mean, I'm, I'm personally one that has a soft spot for the originals of the It miniseries because, I mean, Tim Curry's character playing Pennywise was just brilliant and pure genius. But I also thought that the modern takes of those were good. So, you know, leaving it at that, I think that's the best way to summarize it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Both It chapters. Not so much the second one, but it's still a good movie. I don't hate it like some people. Uh, we, we, I, I don't hate it. I, it just, if they didn't try to make it so comedy-like. I'm not going to disagree with that at all. But I'm, I'm, just... sure, I'm sure there's an edit of It Chapter 2 that I love out there. It's just not the edit we got. I know, I got you. And, and, dude, and, I, and, I said th- and I said this one phrase, and this pretty much encapsulates my opinion about Chapter 2. The, the, the quality of acting and the amazing casting almost forgives the horrible CGI and special effects of that movie. I'm not going to talk about this. Very CGI. good point. The yeah, um, very good so point. almost like forgives it that because he himself is an actor. But we said we're not going to talk about it, chapter two. So <laughs> why'd you got to bring that up, Brandon? I don't. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I feel. I feel personally attacked. Feel triggered. It was a personal attack. Triggered. The, <laughs> triggered. The um. Uh, so so now we're gonna talk about maximum overdrive, of course, because we can't do that, you know, because that's our favorite. That's everybody's favorite, right? That's one of the few Stephen King movies, to be honest with you, that I didn't watch all the way through. You know, that's one of the movies that I saw parts of when I was younger, but it was one of those that I just never got around to watching the whole thing. So I'm gonna be completely blunt and say that's one of the movies that is still on my list that I have to catch of the Stephen King golden age period. I'm not going to watch it just because I don't want the trailer to be ruined because I love the trailer so much that I don't want them to be ruined. So I'm pretty much the only one of the four of us that's actually seen all of Maximum Overdrive. Yes. Okay. Um, It is not the trailer. Uh, (laughs) Stephen King does have a cameo in the beginning. He is not as prevalent throughout the movie as you would believe from the trailer. Is he intaking cocaine at the time? No. Um, He is actually withdrawing money from an ATM. <laughs> well, we know what the money is going to be used for. <laughs> so that tends to be the behavior of a coke addict: and, removing, uh, removing little, money from an ATM. So he's taking the money from an ATM, and the little display on it calls uh, says "asshole" on it, and he just kind of calls to his wife, "Honey, this ATM machine just called me an asshole." Because Stephen King's <laughs> acting is just, you know, just quality. You know, when oh, yeah. you want to. When you want an actor, you call Stephen King because he knows what the hell he's talking about. Yeah, so at the beginning, basically you have all these machines coming to life, killing people. Um, And after that, it ends up in the truck stop where the movie takes place at. And once you get to the truck stop, the movie just stops dead. Like, it's it's no longer fun bad. It's just bad, bad, bad. So in other words, the first like 10 to 15 minutes are great and then everything just comes to a screeching halt. Pretty much. Once you get to the truck stop, you maybe stick around long enough to see the Green Goblin truck because the Green Goblin truck does look cool. And then once you see what you came for, you can pretty much turn it off. Chug your drink and be like, all right, that was fun. Um, <laughs> fair enough, yeah, fair based enough. Based on a short story that he wrote called Trucks, which is actually as 
bizarre and nonsensical as the concept is of a meteor uh, bringing machine life and trucks trying to kill people at a truck stop, it is an effectively enough written short story, which leads to something else that Mark and I were talking about. And when I told him Stephen King is the master of writing stories that when you describe them to your friend, you immediately follow your description with, it's a lot cooler when you actually read it for yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, uh, yeah, that, that's Stephen King in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, one of my personal favorites out of the bunch, and I'm sure, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but uh, Sometimes They Come Back is probably one of my favorites of his. I've actually never seen the movie. I've read the that's, I've read the short story, but I never saw the movie. That's a really good one. It's about it starts off with uh, Jim Norman's a young boy, but his brother Wayne that gets stabbed by these greasers under like this like trestle where this train comes and then suddenly wipes out the greasers in their car. Like they sort of park on the tracks, they fight with the brothers, and they stab Wayne. And Jim runs for his life, and then the greasers are trapped on the tracks while the train comes and kills them. Fast forward to contemporary times, Jim is a school teacher, and then he finds that one of the greasers comes back to life, Robert, and suddenly kids in the class start disappearing and getting murdered, and then every time a student gets murdered, another greaser from the past that murdered his brother comes back and ends up in that same seat in the classroom. It's a very, very creepy concept, but it's really cool. Yeah. A life for a life. The, um, and they have, they, they have this really, like, really funny laugh, like this very comical, like, <laughs> like really loud, like laughs and obnoxious. And when you see it, you're just like, you want to like punch them, but you're also like creeped out by them too. That, 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 that makes me, that makes me happy. I don't know why it makes me happy, but it makes me happy. The, um, uh, that's a lot of fun. That's a lot Did of fun. Did you ever see either of the sequels? Of, uh, which one? Uh, there, there were two made-for-TV sequels. Sometimes they come back. Nobody ever talks about them. No, I have not seen those. I've never seen them. I've never met anybody else who's seen them. Um, so it's since you brought up the first one, I, I just have to know if you've seen them. <laughs> I'm. I'd be interesting to see what they, what, how they are though. If they're well executed or if they're just, you know, comically bad, just to have that train wreck factor and unintended. Yeah. Like, I'm going to put my money on train wreck bad. The second <laughs> one, at least based on the poster I saw, looked like it could be connected to the first one. And then from the little bit that I've seen and heard about the third one, just from reading about it, I don't necessarily believe the third one has any kind of connection to anything from the first one whatsoever. <laughs> Kind of like how Lawnmower Man 2 is so far removed from the original short story of Lawnmower Man. <laughs> oh, man. Jesus. He's just removed from the short story completely. Well, I mean, the first one, even though King did sue to have his name taken off of it, the first one did still have um, a lawnmower running over somebody. And allegedly the name of the company in the movie is named after the pagan god from the short story, but I have not really confirmed that myself yet. Nice, nice. I saw the, I saw the first Lawnmower Man and loved it. I mean, I, I watched it when I was really young, and I, I love, even to this day when I watched it again recently, how primitive the special effects are, but yeah. it's, it's just perfect for how it is. It's not overdone, and, you know, the graphic scenes just, they, they jump out right at you. 
it's a movie that works for everything that it has in itself. And it's just ridiculous fun. Is the yeah. best way to describe it. Isn't that kind of what we're all about is ridiculous fun, being fans of this genre? I mean, if you're a Stephen right. King movie fan, yeah, probably. The, oh, <laughs> That's my, like 90% of his movies. So, so, so hey, so let's, oh, my, so let's do what we've, what we've done before in the past. Let's go, let's go down, the, down the roster with everybody, and obviously uh, Rob being our, our guest. Let's, 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 talk about, let's talk about our favorites. You know, um, we normally go like a, a treasel, but Rob, you, know, you can uh, go as expansive as you like, and then we'll talk about it. I would give a short list. I would say Pet Cemetery is probably number one, the original, because I have not seen the remake. But Pet Cemetery is up there. I love Carrie. I love uh, Christine, The Shining. Um, I haven't seen Salem's Lot, but I have read the book, and I love the book because I think that's one of his best. Um, oh. I also think there's a miniseries I've seen called Storm of the Century that was brilliant that was back good. in the 90s. So. Yeah, those are some of my top ones that he has. And if there's any I've missed or that I haven't mentioned yet, I'll certainly be, get back to them. But Pet Cemetery was one of the few Stephen King movies that when I saw it, legit gave me nightmares. I saw it when I was about 11 years old. And at that time, you know, I was still very new to horror at that age. But when I saw it, it literally gave me the shivers right up to the very end scene when when Rachel stabs him, like right at the very end. And he's like, no, and the lights go out. That just sent the chills right down my spine nice gotta love that the um uh, i love i love that i don't know if you know a little fun trivia fact i don't know if you know that uh brian de palma and george lucas were casting star wars and carrie at the same time and they actually had the same casting um uh, casting call um so wow. they were they were literally doing it at the same time they were casting people for Carrie, and then they were also auditioning people for Star Wars right at the same time they were touring it. Also because George Lucas doesn't talk, and Brian De Palma does, so they figured that they would just join forces, and then and then Harrison Ford and Brian De Palma could kind of explain what Star Wars was all about. But yeah, they they, they shared a, um, they shared an audition space um, uh, for yeah. those two movies. I mean, De Palma, Lucas, Spielberg, Scorsese, Coppola, all, all those directors were friends. So Until... Uh, <laughs> Um, until the fiasco that was the Twilight Zone movie. That was Spielberg and Landis. He wasn't. Landis wasn't. Was never really part of that. That group. I, I I don't hear them talk to talk about each other all that much anymore. I know. Um, I remember like watching documentaries about them before that movie, and then they don't really talk about uh, much about each other now. I may be wrong. I mean, this is just an observation that I've I mean, there there observed. is a Brian De Palma documentary not too long ago, and the way he spoke, it, it sounded like they still keep in contact. There there may have actually been a somewhat recentish picture of them together in that movie. Like <laughs> you remember wrong. Eh, eh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, they, there was a. I love how Rob's like, ooh, that that movie, the Twilight yeah. Zone movie. Yeah, I, I saw I saw that one also when I was really young too. I mean, I, I I loved how when I was younger I enjoyed it, appreciated it for what it was, and it wasn't until I was older that I realized that the guy Vic Morrow actually died during the making of the movie. When you know there was a scene that was omitted where he was supposed to be rescued from Vietnam, and the helicopter came down too low and it decapitated him. Yeah, along with the two kids. Yeah, the, uh, terrible. Which, which is fucking crazy. The um, uh, it's always interesting to hear about those those behind the scenes stories. The um, uh, but uh, I don't think when you actually go into, uh, like, I really don't 
like talking about it that much, but when you really look at everything that actually happened that night, it was like, it goes beyond accident into just outright disaster. Like it is a disaster in every single way. It's a good class on what not to do um, in a lot of cases, you know, certain safety regulations, certain, yeah, there's a a lot of unfortunate circumstances, but it also goes into certain safety regulations, um, underage actors, and, you know, it goes into a lot of lessons about what not to do. Um, uh, You know, I think it's, it's a good, it's a good lesson that any filmmaker should, should know about. Of course. But, uh, but Pet Cemetery. Um, So you have not seen the remake. Have you seen Pet Cemetery 2 ever? I have not seen the sequel. I mean, it was, it just never, I never bothered to go into the sequel because I, I thought the first one was so good on its own that I felt that as a standalone, it was perfect. But then I, when I read a synopsis of the sequel. I was just like, mm, nah, not really. I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, you know, grace the original and view that as like sacred ground and just, you know, skip the sequel. I'll be honest. I probably have the single most controversial opinion on the pet cemetery, on the pet cemetery movies. Uh, the first one, so you saw it when you were younger, you said, right? Yeah. yeah. So I actually didn't see it until I was in high school. And there are a lot of really good shots. There are a lot of really good moments in it. But for me, it's the child actors just kept taking me out of it. And I just thought it was a very miscast movie, especially with um, Ed Gwynn as the old man. Which I mean, when you when you've watched South Park as long as I have, and you've seen that character spoofed so many times, yeah, it's I can't take him seriously ever. I, I guess I guess I, from that perspective, I guess it makes sense, especially after you've watched a movie like My Cousin Vinny, and you yeah. see him as the judge, and then you go back to that, and you're like, oh man, yeah, it's in your yeah. mind for good. The uh... I've tried revisiting it a few times over the years, but it's like. It starts off okay, but it, get, it always gets to the point where the child actors is great against my ears so much that I have to turn it off. Okay. Um, so when I saw the remake, which everybody seems to despise the remake, and I can understand somebody not liking it, but like some of these reviews I see, you, you'd think this movie was bringing about the end of the world. Um, <laughs> which it's like hey, okay you don't like it you don't like it but yeesh there are worse movies out there. i know it's i mean some people just don't like remakes period and i'm not one of those people that would bash a remake out of nowhere i first want to see it for myself and judge it based on the content and how the story is executed i know some folks just love to you know take the opportunity to say it's not the original i'm never going to see it and then if they do see it they're gonna have that narrow mind where they go nope it's not the original it sucks the um, end and what there Rob? Is, Rob, you want to you, you want to you want to go and watch something with no pre prejudgment and then base it on its own merit by itself? How dare you, sir? What is <laughs> what is that blasphemy, sir? How dare you? you need to prejudge something before you walk in and then make a declarative opinion with never seeing the movie before? <laughs> Don't you know how modern times work? <laughs> yep. The internet has to hate there, it, there and if the internet hates it, you better hate it. There, there's a certain story beat in the remake that has a complete 180 from the original and the book. Um, so I'm sure, I'm sure if like anybody that's an absolute diehard purist, that probably set them off. Um, but now, and other than a few moments of, let's call it questionable CGI, and I thought the lead actor was really good, but there was one moment where I'm just like. 
he seems like he's playing this a little more sinister than I think he would at this moment. And then the scene after that, he's okay again. So it's like, okay, that, that was an odd little performance choice right there. Um, but yeah, I, I'd call it a decent movie. It was really well shot in the sound design. Like that's one movie where I will say, if you do see it, definitely try to see it with a surround sound setup because it just watching it with your TV speakers, it, it can't be the same movie. <laughs> like it really can't. Like even in the theater, I'm just like, they are really using all these speakers to all, to their advantage. Um, oh, so yeah. I, I thought it was a overall well done movie. And then Pet Cemetery 2, ridiculous, but it worked as a movie for me more than the first one. Okay. Um, it is more of a horror comedy in some ways, especially with uh, Clancy Brown as the uh, somewhat villain, which, I mean, who doesn't love Clancy Brown? So I have a question, Brandon. Is, yes. is, it, is it a horror comedy or is it an accidental horror comedy? Because uh, there is a difference. There, it, it, there, there are some that are actually meant to be horror comedies versus being unintentional horror comedies. So based on the interview with Clancy Brown that's on the Blu-ray, I kind of got the vibe that it was written more on the serious side, but still had those elements of humor. But on set, they decide to bring out the comedy a little bit more. Okay. So okay. I do you think cool. it's intentional? It was directed by the same woman who directed the original as well. Uh, and I, it's in the interview, Clancy Brown did did ask her. He he said he asked her why she's doing Pet Cemetery too, and she said it's the only thing I'm being offered. But even though it was one of those situations, I still feel like she brought a lot more to the movie than anybody else would have. Um, so I, I, I do think it doesn't live up to the actual story of the original Pet Cemetery. Probably not. Is it an enjoyable movie? Yeah, it actually is. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, you know, cause I gotta, I gotta bring it up, man. Cause, cause you got, you, you have on one end Shaun of the Dead. Um, and then on the other end you have The Happening. Um, uh, you know, both, both hilarious, but both hilarious for very different reasons. What? Yeah. No. <laughs> The the very different reasons why those two movies are hilarious. Um, oh, and, and and then you have another one, uh, Sleepwalkers, which was interesting to say the least. I have never seen that one actually. Neither have I. Neither I saw I that one when I saw that one when I was like twelve or thirteen. I was in like Channel Nine, I think, and it was like an edited version, and it was it was bad. It, I, that's definitely one of his bad ones that I would not. I, you'd watch it once, and you're just like, mm, I want that hour and a half of my life back. <laughs> Dude, his wife is like when I saw the Langoliers on uh, on TV. Um, uh, that was what? Uh, yeah, that movie. Um, uh, that was an interesting one. Um, uh, the uh, I saw that one when I think I was like thirteen, and I'm like, this is. I mean, like, it, it, it was enjoyable because it was enjoyable, like in a mystery aspect. But like some of the things that were going on, like the discussions that were going on, like how they discovered they were there was because the soda was flat. Like and I'm and they made it such a fucking huge deal about how like the soda's flat. They're like, like that's how we know we're in a different dimension. It's because the soda is flat. The fuck are that's you hilarious. Talking about? That's, they, uh, that's hilarious. They, uh, and, and then like and then like they um uh, um uh, then they then they came back and then the, and then like I remember very few things like two guys got in a fight. The soda was flat. Um, or oh, at the beginning everyone disappeared that wasn't napping. Um, uh, and then they landed on this thing and then they figured out that oh it's 
you know, destroying into nothing. It's decrepiting into nothing. And then they said, all right, we got to get back on this plane. But then the fuel didn't work. It seemed like a very, like, like the most arbitrary inconveniences about why this story had to go. Um, it was entertaining for, for what it was. And then it got to the actual part where they, where the monsters showed up and then you went, wow, this is a made for TV movie. This like, what in the God's holy shit made for TV uh, sci-fi movie of the week bullshit is this? These fucking things came out of nowhere. They look, dude, they look like the, they look like the honeycomb fucking monster. Like the like the furball fucking monster, like like tearing up the fucking runway. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Uh, it's a 1995 made for CG, but, uh, made for TV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, CG. That's amazing. And then and then they and then they and then like they get in the air and then they decide they're like, all right, well, like the only way for us to get out of this is for somebody to stay awake to fly the plane. And then the one guy says, I'm going to sacrifice myself. So he puts on a, a, the breathing mask and drives the plane and he looks at the sunlight and he's like, the sun is beautiful and then fucking disappears. And then that's the end of the fucking movie. And then they land the plane. That's the, uh, amazing. Like, and then like now in, in hindsight, I'm like, I'm like, this is when Stephen King was doing a lot of blow. Like, I know this is when Stephen King was doing a lot of blow. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, but it is, it's certainly a memory. Um, it is certainly a memory that I have. Oh, man. You know, um, uh, but I, I did. I um, uh, but in this assignment though, I did actually watch Firestarter last night. Uh, uh, that's another one I have to see. That's on my list. I have the DVD actually. I got it for Christmas in a box set that I was given, and I still have to watch it. Okay, well, I'll give you my quick rundown with it. Um, it is not perfect by any means. Um, uh, there are some. Zach and Brandon would have an aneurysm if they saw some of the ADR to film. Like there's there's moments when you know, like when they when people they show a wide shot of somebody and they're driving in a truck, and the oh, characters yeah. are in the truck, but the voiceovers still going. The truck passes by, the fucking voiceovers are still going, but no one's lips are moving inside the truck. Oh, so <laughs> that kind of shit is going on in that movie. Um, That's amazing. It, it, oh, it was. That would not have happened if they didn't fire John Carpenter. Um, probably, probably. Um, uh, along along with everybody else. Um, but, but, but besides that though, um, Drew Barrymore actually did a good job as a little girl. She did some really, really good acting. Um, the rest of it was was really good. Um, the guy who plays the villain, um, uh, not Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen's pretty great in it, but there, I think it's the guy who plays um, uh, uh, the bad, the villain from fucking Ghostbusters two. Um, Brandon, oh, please correct. Please correct. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I may be wrong. I, I, I may very well be wrong. Please tell me what the, this. He's been in a bunch of movies, like um, a bunch of other movies. Um, uh, but he plays a really, like I think that's this is the most horrifying part of this movie. He gets really, like a little too close to Drew Barrymore, and it made me uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Like I know, but it made me uncomfortable as a 2020 person, not as a 1984 person. Like who would never see, who would never like see like this type of thing. But I'm like, this is a little like, little little peta creepy. Um, uh, but but I think it came down to like, it, it, like there wasn't a lot of. He was a creepy character, but there wasn't a lot of development within him. Uh, apparently through Vigo. It wasn't Vigo. It was he, but he's been in other shit. Um, I, but the I wish he was. That would have been amazing. But um, but apparently he's like one of these, um. 
like an African tribe person who believes if they kill somebody, they will absorb their power. Like, you know, some of them are nice. cannibals, but like he believes if like I kill somebody, I'll absorb their power. So that's what he wants to do. Because apparently oh, in, nice. in this whole, so, so for anybody who hasn't seen it, apparently at the very beginning, there's a clinical, a, a, a clinical trial for a serum that gives people um, supernatural abilities. Um, uh, Drew Barrymore's father is a psychic. He can control people's thoughts mm. and make people do whatever the fuck he wants to do. And then Drew Barrymore can control fire and basically just produce fucking fire and higher temperatures whenever the fuck she feels like it. And the, the part that was good about this movie was, um, was the government conspiracy type things of, you know, of the men in black, you know, hunting down these people and they have a secret organization of the government that, that runs these trials. And that's the part that was intriguing about the story is, you know, the relationship between Drew Barrymore and her father was really good. And then the relationship she develops with this, with the older guy is really good. Um, and it ends up being this cool kind of story about, um, about government cover-ups and, and tests and things like that. But honestly, at the end of the day, it was a good movie. I didn't enjoy it. There's a whole thing at the end. It's a final showdown where Drew Barrymore blows up everything. Um, it is certainly plagued by, um, a 1984 movie running out of money um, uh, yeah, towards the end. Um, I go, well, that's where you ran out of money. Okay, I see you. Um, uh, but but overall, very enjoyable experience. Definitely dug what they had to offer. Uh, certainly by no means the worst of the Stephen King stuff. And I went back and read, like saw some of the review scorings, and they were really low. And I'm like, it, it doesn't really deserve the kind of low rating. It's certainly not perfect by any means. Um, but it's definitely good. And by the way, Zach, um, you, the older, the, there's an older man who they, they kind of get taken in, uh, Drew Barrymore and her dad gets taken into. He is your spirit animal. Um, <laughs> because all of these guys, all these government guys fucking sneak, like pull up on his driveway. This dude literally runs out with his gun. He's like, he's like, you, need, you guys need to the fuck off my property. And he's like, no, we're just going to take them and everything else. It's like, unless you, he's like, he's like, unless you got a warrant, you know, um, uh, you know, I'm not going to let them go. And he's like, no, we don't have a warrant. He's like, oh, really? It's like, oh, did I wake up in Russia this morning? Because in case this, this is still the fucking United States, you ain't leaving, the, you ain't taking these fucking people off my goddamn property. The, um, and I'm like, and, 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 and like literally after they all get blown up, this is the whole thing with Drew Barrymore where she takes a whole bunch of them out. He's like, and he's like, what did you want me to do? You want, to be, want me to be a good little Nazi and fucking let the government people take those people away? <laughs> Fuck that. The, um, uh, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, like that's Zach's grandpa. Um, uh, the, um, uh, but overall, a, I, I do recommend it. Like definitely pick it up. It's a fun like Sunday afternoon uh, watch. It's not as horror oriented, but it has horror elements within it. Like when she burns up people, she really fucking burns people alive. Nice. Um, but it has that kind of like government conspiracy kind of flair to it. Um, uh, okay. Definitely, definitely of the the Reaganism, Cold Era kind of you know Cold War kind of thing. But definitely, like definitely enjoyable. Really, re yeah. really do recommend it. Now another film that since you mentioned that the Cold War era and then even Martin Sheen that you brought up ago. Let's talk about the Dead Zone. Yeah, that's a great one. I I wanted to show Zach the Dead Zone before we did this, but we just couldn't. Somehow, time got away from us. I got distracted with predator hunting grounds. I've been ripping people's heads off all weekend. It's great. I recommend. It's cool. Yeah, <laughs> Good Dead for Zone your is great. I've seen that movie several times, and 
It it just just how it's executed with Christopher Walken's character is it's it's great, and how Martin Sheen plays the great evil politician. It it's it, it, it when, once he shakes his hand, then and then he sees into the future how he's going to just unleash nuclear war. That that just gives you the fucking chills. That sounds the one where um, what's it called? Uh, Christopher Walken kind of becomes psychic, right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Seen it when I was a kid. Okay. The, okay. It sounds like it's only this is a similar vein to like those things because Martin Sheen plays a similar character. Like he's been, I think he's been like secretly like working towards the West Wing, um, his role in the West Wing as he got you know beefed up through the eighties playing politicians because he's been playing politicians quite a lot apparently <laughs> even in two Stephen King's movies. Yeah. Can, can you imagine the West Wing starring Martin Sheen's character from the Dead Zone? Man, that would be House of Cards. <laughs> You're not but, wrong. I'm seventy five percent of the way there. Um, another another great scene that always sticks in my mind with the dead zone is when the child falls through the ice yeah uh, skating oh man that as when i saw that when i was young i was just like blown away how he, like, it would just every time we would fall through the ice i'd be like no the, the, the one that always got me was when they're trying to track down that serial killer that's in the town and then they finally figure out who it is but as they're about to raid his house, you know, that killer doesn't want to be taken alive. And it's like, he just sets up like these scissors pointing at him in his bathroom. And you don't see what he did to himself. You just see the aftermath of it. And it is brutal. And it's just like, what did you, like, it's like, you see the beginning of it and you see the results of it. And whatever it is he did, whatever you imagine is probably way more, bad than whatever actually did happen yeah that, that was, even absolutely. though it's a david cronenberg movie who is no stranger to showing graphic gore and violence um i i do think he was right to show a lot of restraint for the dead zone yeah it was it was very well executed it was definitely more psychological and uh i wouldn't say spiritual but it had like that sort of blurred lines between supernormal and paranormal elements you know that blended very well and the, the gory aspects were done very sparingly, but very tastefully. Yeah. You know what? And that's, and that's the thing I got to give Stephen King a lot of props for, for the most part that that's his MO. Like it's not necessarily relying on, on gore and harsh visuals. I mean, yeah, he has them for sure, but like most of this is about atmosphere and about, you know, a feeling and about, you know, tension and, and you know, creating a world that you can live in, um, and that there is a lot of spiritual and a lot of supernatural that that come into that. And you know, it's it's more about you know what you don't see versus what you actually see with with Stephen King, which I I think it, it to varying degrees of success in in his movies, but but I think that's an overall tenet of Stephen King. It's about atmosphere. It's about you know a feeling that you get. I mean, my not. My my nan is like the biggest fan of his novels. Read every fucking thing um, that he's that he's wrote, and that's always been her thing. Like she's always said that it's it's about atmosphere. It's about it's about you know feeling a certain way and and feeling uneasy and feeling that something is wrong in whatever world you're living in. And I think he does it pretty fucking well. Um, cocaine or non cocaine, you know, it does it pretty fucking well either way. Yeah. He definitely conveys a similar, I'd say he's like, a, I would say not watered down, but a definitely more modern take on someone like H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. Yep. And, it, and it also does a lot of um, director said about Stephen King, and that's 
Stephen King doesn't write about a monster in a house. He writes about the people living in the house with the monster in it. Yes. It, it, it's always you secondary. It. You know, you know, it's some funny, like it, it's, I think that's called, always an interesting concept. I think the, the best kind of movies are the things that, that aren't those movies. And what I mean, like, what I mean by that is like, you know, uh, like the dark Knight. it's great because it's not a comic book movie. It's a, it's, it's whatever else first. It's a, it's a, it's a crime drama first, you know, yeah. Um, De- Deadpool's a comedy first. Um, uh, you know, the uh, Casino Royale is is a is a spy, you know, thriller versus a Bond movie. Like it's there's something first before it's whatever else. And Stephen King's always really good at making something first before it be- goes into whatever else it needs to get into. Yeah. And his use of metaphor is brilliant. Like oh, all, yeah. the, all the monsters represent some metaphor or some subliminal that relates to the characters or to maybe a reflection of what's going on in their mind versus what's going on in their society or you know something along those lines. No, you're no, you're absolutely 100 correct. Hey, and I don't want to f- stray too far away from sequels. Did you get a chance to see uh, Doctor Sleep? No, I haven't gotten to Doctor Sleep because um, I was intending on going to the movies, you know, to see it when it was out, but then COVID hit and you know it changed a lot of things so i there's a lot of things i haven't been able to do in the last couple months since we've been under strict quarantine you know i mean it's literally you know you can leave your house to buy groceries or you can leave to get gas or go to work if you're an essential employee which i am not you know i give music lessons and i tutor english but i do that remotely so i don't really have to leave thank goodness but you know my girlfriend works in healthcare, so she is an essential worker so she's always on the go and in the front line so you know, some people can't be home, but when when you are home, sometimes you get you get cabin fever because there's only so many movies you can watch, so many books you can read, so much music you can write before you just want to just go outside for a walk or just go drive to the park. But you know, your parks are closed, so you really can't go anywhere. Yeah, it's literally, that. and I haven't seen the movie, but in a lot of ways, it reminds me a little bit of The Stand because I've heard about the synopsis of The Stand, and I'm like, it's it's like a more toned down version because this virus isn't killing people up like ebola virus would if that came out but it's still pretty fucking deadly to those who have compromised systems and to those who are young or those who are you know in their 60s 70s and above that you know can't fight this off very quickly so yeah like uh, of all the things that they say makes you more at risk my dad checks like three or four of those boxes so it's just like i don't want you going outside probably not a good idea yeah, yeah. Stay in and don't take the gator out. Yeah, it's, um, uh, but it was good. It was it was probably one of my favorite uh, favorite movies of the last year. Um, uh, it is definitely <laughs> worth a watch. Definitely now I have seen the original. Watch. I've seen the original Shining with the Jack Nicholson, which is a classic. And I've also seen the Shining miniseries when they ran that in the '90s, like the, the four part, I think on ABC. And it wasn't as scary. It was more dramatic and more like thriller, but it was more sad. And it goes deeper into the backstory of of how the family, you know, had their history and how they brought that and their problems exploded once they were trapped in the house for the for the winter. Well, yeah, that was that was uh, that was his uh, Stephen King's biggest complaint about uh, about you know I thought we you know we we did well we're going this way. Um, uh, that was Stephen King's biggest complaint I heard in interviews was that they didn't go deep enough into the declining of the marriage and the alcoholism and the 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 abuse of you know the abuse stuff and you know and and all that the history of the history of all that as much in the movie as Stephen King would have liked. You know, it's more about that story is way more about the destruction of a marriage and the ending of a marriage and the ending of a family 
um, than it is about anything else. Like you were saying before, it's, you know, it's, it's not about the monster. It's about the people that are around the monster. Um, and, and, and that, I know that was Stephen King's biggest complaint about the movie is they didn't go deep enough into, um, you know, the, those type of struggles. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, no, I, I agree. Yeah. yeah so doc, doctor sleeps on my list. It's good. It's very, very good. One movie I loved by him is Misery. That yes. movie. I that actually uh, I watched that last night in preparation for this, and still a really scary movie. Um, people like to talk about toxic fandom today. <laughs> Stephen King was taking it on for real yep. back then. Way before the age of social media, and way before the age of YouTube and Facebook and Instagram, and you know anything where you could find a platform where people could connect all around the world. I mean, this was in, you know, right in the heart of Gen X where this was pre AOL. So yeah, it was, it was all about fan letters and fan club days where you were writing and waiting for months just to get a piece of, you know, anything that, you know, their, their biggest uh, fan would able to uh, submit to them, just like a hair strand or a nail clip or, you know, a, piece of a page of a book anyone autographed by their favorite author or actor or musician that was the days of the fanatical fan club oh we don't have that anymore because you could just go on google and just type someone in boom you see them and all of a sudden you know you're in their virtual world bam there it is you know what's something funny i was actually going to say something to brandon's point that movie and demolition man are way more important now than they ever were in the past um, uh, they're way far more relatable than they ever were. You know, Misery with its crazy fandom and um, Demolition Man with its culture. Um, uh, <laughs> the, oh, my um, God, Demolition Man. I laughed my ass off throughout that movie. It, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it's a hilarious movie, but it, it's, if, that's a, if, that, if society was run by Tumblr, that's, that's where it would be. Um, yep. uh, the, <laughs> so I, I think those movies are probably more important now than they ever were. And like you were saying about misery, I would put those, that'd be a hell of a double feature actually. Um, uh, the, uh, movies that are more important now than they ever were, um, demolition man and misery. Oh, but, but when, but when Annie walks in the room with a sledgehammer, you just know that there's trouble, you know, there's trouble for Paul. Like he's fucked. He's just trapped in the bed. And he's just gonna get his legs and he's smashed to bits. Yeah, and she puts that like, wood between his ankles and it's like oh, oh man. I haven't been that uncomfortable since since Casino Royale with the Daniel Craig scene with the with the end of the rope. Have you oh, not yeah. the uh have you not have you seen Casino Royale, Rob? Mm-mm. There's a oh boy. Um there's a scene in that in that movie where the villain uh strips Bond naked. And um, takes one of those old wood wicker chairs, cuts out the seats so it's just a hole, takes a takes a, a, a an old yep yep that's where we're headed Rob um, uh, takes <laughs> I can see his face takes an old sail like um, and actually um, a ship rope with the big ass knots on him and goes and goes whoop right underneath the chair. Oh man! <laughs> the, uh, turn left and turn left Ow. and cough Rob. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, uh, yeah, that, that happened. That, that, that made everybody in the theater. I was, I think I was like 14 when I saw that movie and even I went, Ooh, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're going to turn this into a one-upsmanship of a uh, painful scenes. Um, I was actually watching a hockey comedy last night called Goon, 
with uh, Sean William Scott. And there's a scene where, um, so he's basically this hockey player that's brought in specifically to start fights. And there's a scene where it's like the goalie for his team is like, for some reason, knocked away from the goal. And Sean William Scott finds himself in front of the goal. No protective gear. Opposing team does this slap shot towards the goal. He blocks the puck with his face. Oh, no. Yeah. And then he's like laying on the ground in front of the goal. Puck right in front of his face. And the entire opposing team is trying to knock that puck in. And he's just getting he's getting hit with hockey sticks just left and right in the face. Oh, man. Another person steps on his ankle with their ice skate. Oh, it is, like, for fuck. a company, it's just like, this is hard to watch. Did it's he like, live uh, through that scene? What's that? Did he live through that scene, or did he die yeah. through that scene? I mean, in real life, you're dead. And yeah. it's like, like blow with a puck, that could fracture like, your skull and get your brain, and you're fucking brain dead. Yeah, it's like yeah. 10, 10 seconds left on the timer, and then when the timer's done, all he can say is, did we win? <laughs> As they're just, like, carting him out on the stretcher. And... I, I have so much mad respect for hockey players, man, because they're they're not, maybe not that insane, but they're pretty fucking insane. Oh, I mean, like, man. You, yeah, you've got to skate, and you've got to hit hard, and you've got to be tough, and you've got to deal with the cold, and you've got to be very flexible and agile, and you've got to be ready to hit a puck every time you get the puck and you've got to fight, you know, when you get cornered and you, you get checked, you have to fight back. There's literally, there's a story. I believe one of the Blackhawks players had a heart attack while playing once recovered. Uh-huh. Then he's just like, can I go back to the game? You just yeah, had a heart attack. No, fuck you. Yeah, no. They, 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 they had a seat. They had like the, the, the paddles and they paddled his ass in the, in, in there. Dude, like, like I remember there was a, the Boston, the Boston Bruins and, and Blackhawks uh, Stanley cup series. Uh, one of the players got his teeth knocked out, and he went to go pick up his teeth with with an, uh, on the ice. One guy got uh, got um, his pancreas bruised and was bleeding internally, <laughs> and they and he still played the um, uh, and like and you have the basketball players that get a sprained ankle, uh, and then they're out for the season. <laughs> you have Cutler who gets a broken pinky and he can't play for the rest of his life. Uh, never mind. Um, it's a, it's a, uh, let's it's not a go different there. Level. It's a different level of toughness. I mean, and but I mean, when you watch and think about this though, when you watch horror movies, you know, it makes you think when some people endure those scenes where they get their neck bitten by a vampire, or you know, or they get their leg chewed off by a large rat, you know, and they're, they're still crawling and going through and fighting back. You know, it, I think it shows individual resilience and uh, toughness within each so, character. Some have it, some don't. When, when you mentioned the giant rat, were you referencing the graveyard shift? Yes, graveyard shift. Yes. I, I watched that recently. It was amazing. Amazingly bad and funny and gory as fucking hell. I mean, that's probably one of his gorier movies I've seen. Yeah. Gotta, gotta love that. It's gross from what I remember. I was thinking about revisiting it, but then Scream Factory just announced that they're going to do a Blu-ray of it. So I'm going to hold off until that comes out to rewatch it. But yeah, that, that's definitely one of his grosser stories. Yeah, it, it's different than the short story too. I know it's in his, uh, in his uh, compilation, Night Shift, and I've read, yeah. the, I've read the story and the story is much shorter. The movie expands and there's more characters and more depth, of course, and it's funnier, but the story itself is more gross and more grotesque. So I would read the story first, then see the movie and compare it. And, you know, of course the movie's got that 80s quality to it. I have a question. Has anybody ever seen, I don't know the name of, of, of it, but it's based on a short story 
where, and I think they've done a film or something of it. It's when the appliances come to life. The washing machine comes to life and starts eating people. Uh, it's based on a washing machine or laundry press. Laundry. I think it's a laundry press. Um, I believe mangler. it's a laundry press. The What's up, the Mangler? Have they have they done something yes. like a visual <laughs> sense of it? The movie okay. is fucking hilarious. I, movie that would be starring hilarious. Robert Englund. It's you have a photographer named JJJ Pictureman. <laughs> That's the level that we're done with. Cause why the fuck not? Um, uh, Bill is an alcoholic. Uh, it, what's it called? Was he just an investigator? I think he was a detect uh, detective. I couldn't remember if he was a detective or uh, I don't an know. inspector. Like, like the, we we mentioned Stephen King is the master of writing stories. Where you go, it's a lot cooler when you read it. The Mangler is the epitome. Of I was that. gonna, yeah, that's like the pinnacle of it. Just holy shit, this movie is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> well, well, dude, he has such a huge fan base. Do you think that like he's sitting there and he, and he's like thinking like. How far can I take this bullshit? Like, how I far can how ridiculous at least once? Yeah, how ridiculous can I make this and still people will read it and gobble it up the same way? And I think that is the apex of of everything. The washing the, the the laundry press or wa press or washing machine ate my sister or something ridiculous. The um uh, we've we've reached goosebumps levels, gentlemen. That's goosebumps levels of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, but going back further, I mean, when you, I read like, for example, Salem's Lot, like I've read that all the way through and digested it. And that's, that's pure fucking blasphemy in so many areas. I mean, that's very vampiric, you know, borderline satanic in certain areas. And that's probably one of the darkest novels I've read of his, you know, from the earlier times. And to translate that to film, it, I think that's definitely one of his more primitive yet very chilling films that, you know, sets off in that r small rural town where everybody's just, you know, has that very weird, eerie sort of aura about them, and yet there's just vampires everywhere. Yeah, the, uh... actually, yeah, the uh, 1979 uh, Salem's Lot, also directed by Toby Hooper, so he can direct Stephen King well. Um, Look, not the just Mangler the Mangler was directed very well. <laughs> it is an absolutely fantastic, great A piece of cinema. You gotta watch it. I'll take your word for Clear it. Room. <laughs> you have now you have now been kicked out of the podcast, sir. Um, uh, we're gonna have to ask <laughs> the uh, we're gonna have to ask you to. There's there's too much Stephen King cocaine being consumed here, so we're gonna have to ask you to step away. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I, I've always started the book and I've tried reading it like multiple times and I've really liked what I've read, but for some reason, that's the book that whenever I read it, something else happens in my life where it's, I no longer have time to read. That's so I'm the start, worst. I'm starting to think it may have a curse for me or something. <laughs> it's like me trying to finish Legends of the Gaia. Yeah, but the, the, um, the 1979 TV movie or miniseries, whatever you want to call it, um, that's probably in my top 10, maybe even top five Stephen King movies. Um, and I really like that. Like it's three hours long in the first hour. You, you, it's really an hour before you get any real vampire stuff. And even then it's just sort of starts slowly. So that first hour you're just spinning with the characters and that's what I really like about it. Cause then when everything goes sideways, you know, these people, you care about them and it's for a, 1970s made for tv movie there is some creepy stuff like the kid at the window yeah. um it is my understanding that they definitely changed kurt barlow quite a lot for this version and even though he's 
very much based off of the Nosferatu design. He's really creepy. Um, James Mason is creepy. It's just like he's just one of those guys where it's just like you know something's off about him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really good. Um, I'm actually wearing a Sam's Lot shirt right nice. now. Nice. Farlow on it. Um, God, man. Yeah, I, I really like it. I never saw the 2004 <coughs> remake with Rob Lowe. No, neither have I. But that looked it looks interesting, and I check it out once I get that moment yeah. too. And then there is going to be another remake coming out, and they just announced that Gary Doberman is going to be directing, which he wrote the screenplays for It and It Chapter 2. Um, he was involved in the Swamp Thing TV series. Mm, uh, I nice. believe he wrote all three Annabelle movies. Um, Sweet. He gets some credibility there. And um. <laughs> directed Annabelle Comes Home. I, be I believe he directed the third one. That was the... The most recent, recent one. Okay. Yeah. I still haven't seen um, I think that's the one he directed, and that's his only directing credit right now. So it'd be interesting to see like what they do with this new version of Salem's Lot. But continuing from Salem's Lot, uh, you've mentioned the uh, Night Shift collection. Have you ever read One for the Road? One for the Road? Yeah. I may have read it, but I forgot about the premise of it. You know, it's been a while since I've read all the stories, but there's certain stories I still go back to within it. But that's been probably been about a good year since I've flipped through it. All right. So one for the road takes place a couple years after Salem's lot. And it's like the surrounding towns. They just know you don't go near Salem's lot. And so it's one winter night. Just this blizzard is just coming down. Wind is howling. It is freezing cold. Uh, there's this guy at a bar <laughs> And he's just having like one last drink with the bartender before they close up for the night. And as they're getting ready to close down, this guy just bursts through the, through the door, just like chill oh, near, like if he had been outside 15 more minutes, he'd have frozen to death essentially. And basically he was driving with his wife and seven year old daughter and their car breaks down right outside of Salem's lot. And so basically they go out into the, they drive out there trying to find his car and they go out there in the cold, pitch dark, wind chill, negative a hundred, probably just trying to find his wife and daughter because they're no longer in the car. And let's just say the vampires got them and it is creepy. Like Stephen King, as good of a writer he is, he can really get into being overly descriptive where it's <laughs> like he looked at the clock and the clock was in the family for generations bought by his great 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 grandfather and passed down like he he can get into that kind of thing sometimes. yeah that's 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 his style he's very descriptive and sometimes he goes off the deep end with that and and it makes you want to skip the couple pages ahead to get back to the content but yeah but sometimes the details are just pure he just goes for it and it is just a very intense like 30 or 40 however long it is and it is it is a story i'll say that it, it is it gets creepy dude my my nana has said multiple times she's like yeah with reading with reading stephen king she got it's like i can't tell you how many times marco that i, I i've said steve just get to the fucking point <laughs> um I, the uh you know on, on and on with this bullshit the um uh, my, you can tell my nana's very italian it's just on and on with the bullshit about the clock and and how it was made and what where the crack came from. Jesus, get back to the fucking story. The um uh but um the, the one thing I have said about Stephen King many times, and I'll say it again, that man has done horrible things 
for the tour tourism of the city, uh, the state of Maine. Um, I feel terrible for the people who work in the tourism office of Maine. Um, uh, them trying to explain that that Maine really isn't that bad must be very difficult, considering I'm how much Stephen King has I, shit on I, I it. I feel like he would have done more help for the tourism of Maine than anything, because if you didn't have Stephen King, what would you know Maine for? Lobster. Lobster. <laughs> um, woods. Moose. Elks. Wait, a lot of, a lot a of lot beautiful of, scenery. The, I mean, uh, a lot, a lot of, of trees. Of that. The uh, yeah, we'll drive through, but we won't stay the night. I've read a Stephen King novel. But also, gonna... <laughs> I think you're also underestimating just how sick people actually are in their heads. The uh, you know, so they want yeah. to see the place where Stephen King writes all of his novels. But you know, but to all defense, Maine is certainly has the least crime of any state. I've read that you know, by demographics, Maine is probably one of the safest states, relatively speaking, considering by population and by area, and. Uh, it's well, you know, they say well, certain states that are very cold, you know, are more prone to high crime and you know heavy alcoholism and drugs and murder and robbery. Maine actually is one of the few states that's you know defies those odds and you know has a lesser amount of that. Which well, is rabbits, kind of- rabbits, real tough to arrest a vampire or or a ghost. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that is very true. The uh, you know Dracula, get in the back of the car. The uh, <laughs> the. Uh, Hey, 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 I'm having a little trouble handcuffing the ghosts. Well, no shit. The, uh, yeah, that, that would be an interesting story. Just a cop trying to arrest Dracula, and then they got to get immigration involved. <laughs> <laughs> you motherfucker, you better behave, otherwise I'm calling ICE. The, uh, <laughs> or, how about, or how about the demon from Storm of the Century, Lanoge, who can shapeshift to any character he wants and or just disappear at any time, you know, with that long cane with the, the snake dragon-looking creature on the end of it. That had eyes that moved and like sort that of looked into different crazy. things. And actually, James, Mark and Zach James, uh, who we interviewed a while back from the um, Horror and Sci-Fi Prop Pre- Preservation Association, he actually just got that cane. Uh, just just today, he posted a picture of it, and it was an actual animatronic cane. And we nice. just left Mark, so I think that means his family obligation finally took hold. No, I think it's <laughs> tough to but man, Storm of the Century, like that creeped me out, especially the, the one line that was repeated several times, like, I will eat your eyes out over and over. After all, hell is all about repetition. It, that just like was amazing. Yeah, I like, actually when, have not seen Storm of the Century since my freshman or sophomore year of high school. I don't remember any lines. I just remember the cane. And I remember the end when they made the one guy give up his son. Yes. Like, yeah, like that whole ending has still stayed with me. It's, it was it was dark as hell. And, you know, after that, he gave his child up. He divorced his wife and then shows the aftermath where he left his wife, you know, his, and then he sees his son walking and his son turns and he had, he gives like the evil eye where he knows it's the face of his son, but it's a different soul, a different psyche. So it's it shows you that he's now possessed in the hands of Lanoge. That was a good one. Um, that's actually by the same director as Rose Red. which That's another one I haven't seen. I haven't seen that in forever. I haven't seen it since it first aired. Like on TV? Yeah. Wow. Like that was the last time I actually watched it. I remember it was like all the average. What was it, on ABC? Uh, I saw. I only saw it on DVD. So. Yeah, I think it aired on ABC, and I remember they were making all this big deal about it, and that's where I saw it. And I can barely remember that movie or show, whatever. What was it, like three it was, parts? It was like a two or three part miniseries. I think it was three parts. Mm-hmm. I do yeah, think it was several parts. Yeah. Um, Another one that I really liked a lot was was 1922. 
it wasn't really horror, but it, it was really interesting. It's a guy, a guy, he, he lives out on a farm. He, yeah, yeah. He, he kills his wife to try to collect, like, inherit the inheritance. And it just, after that, everything just backfires and it just leads to a downward spiral for him. Yeah, it's, uh, I actually watched that one. I downloaded it onto, basically, my mother gave me her iPad when I was working on my second cruise ship. Um, and I downloaded it onto, via Netflix to watch it. So it's like, I remember enjoying it, but it's one of those movies I've wanted to return to because, you know, working on a cruise ship towards the end of my contract <laughs> to the point where my brain was starting to be affected in certain ways. So I do want to return to 1922 and watch it and actually give it um, the due it deserves. But yeah, it's, 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 it's a movie that you want to watch a couple times because the story is kind of dense and it's not really scary or gory, but it's more psychologically distressing to see how a person who thinks that he's could double cross his family and just, you know, obtain everything for his own personal gain. And it just completely falls out of his grip and he just spirals down into complete oblivion. Yeah. Uh, of the three Stephen King Netflix movies, I, I would say that's probably the middle one for me. Uh, the top one being Gerald's Game. That was, was brilliant. Good. Yeah, and uh, at the bottom in the tall grass. Well, you didn't like in the tall grass? I did not care for in the tall grass. Well, it was a fun <laughs> book. I didn't like hate it. I didn't hate it, but it's I don't care for it. Yeah. It's interesting because Gerald's game. I first watched it and I didn't like it. I I thought it was very slow and very boring. But then I watched it again a second time, and it just something compelled me to watch it again. And the more I watched it, I just I felt connected to the story. It just it was definitely more of a metaphorical story of infidelity and failed relationships and how that manifested into something much greater and much darker. Like the dog that came in the room and just bit the living people, but it, yeah. it really wasn't there. It, it's, it's pretty bizarre. Yeah, that was a really good one. Um, but yeah, the three movies I watched in prep for this podcast were uh, Salem's Lot, Misery, and then the other one I watched, I wanted to make sure I watched something that I'd never seen before. Uh, and so I watched uh, Secret Window. That's what I've never seen. I don't think it'd be better. It's I always it's the Stephen King movie I always that I always forget is the Stephen King movie because it doesn't feel like Stephen King. Uh, but basically, Johnny Depp plays an author. Yeah, he plays a writer in a Stephen King story. I, <coughs> I know. Um, but he plays a writer who's going through a divorce. He's staying out ha at his cabin, just away from everything. And then one day, this guy knocks on his door played by uh, John Turturro, and he's claiming that Johnny Depp stole, plagiarized his story. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it was really good. There, It was a really solid thriller. It had a much more relaxed tone than you would expect from a Stephen King movie, especially from a studio-produced Stephen King movie. Um, but yeah, Johnny Depp gives a much more toned down performance than you usually expect from him. Um, yeah, it's really good. Just the way that he's trying to prove to this guy, I did not steal your story. Mm -hmm. um, Maria Bello plays Johnny Depp's soon to be ex-wife. Uh, she needs more work because I think she's a fantastic actress. Um, but yeah, if, if you've never seen it, I do recommend it. Uh, the only thing I didn't like about it was there's a reveal at the end that just kind of fell flat for me. 
And I was kind of planning on talking about it in more detail if you guys had seen the movie, or at least if one of you had seen the movie. But since neither of you have seen it, I kind of don't want to now because I don't want to spoil it for you guys. Cool. Um, That's just an excuse to bring you back for another Stephen King discussion later on. Definitely. But the thing is, too, that Stephen King has just so much output. He has so many movies, and it's hard to pick because he has such a wide range of films ranging from drama to psychological thriller to really scary horror to films that are completely not in his vein but are still by him, like The Shawshank Redemption, for example, which is a phenomenal film. One of the greatest movies ever made. You ever read the original story? Mm -hmm. It's okay. Um... Like, I, it's like, um, the movie's better. <laughs> like, it's one of those times where I'll say the, the movie is by far the superior version. Um, yeah, it go, the movie goes a lot more into the corruption of the prison because in, in the book, there's more than one warden, like, one mm. tires, another comes in. Whereas in the movie, it's yeah, that one corrupt guy from beginning to end of the story. Um, I think they did more with the uh, friendship between Andy and Red. Um, like, the, the the story almost feels like just a Cliff Notes version of the movie. Maybe a blueprint, perhaps. Like, yeah. something maybe, like, he wanted to have that, and then someone took it and adapted it into a larger, you know, more dense, like, uh, screenplay that eventually became the masterpiece that it was. <laughs> um, Creepshow is another one that I really like. That's Creepshow is great. Creepshow 2 and Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, which was supposed to be Creepshow 3. Yep. Not the actual Creepshow 3, which that, is not... That never happened. In my, nope, it's just... Never happened. You can't even find it anywhere anymore except on YouTube. I, I had a copy of it, and I just threw it out. I was just, it was that bad. Yeah, actually, our friend Justin, uh, back when it first came out on DVD, he he saw it, and he's like, oh, there's a Creepshow 3? I didn't know that. He bought it. <laughs> he has since sold it. <laughs> It's just that horrible. It is terrible. Like, it's not even fun bad. It's just bad bad. It's insulting bad. It's more like what the fuck is happening bad. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not even in what the fuck kind of like, this is a stoner movie bad. This is just, it's just bullshit. Humans bullshit. made this somehow. An actual person made it and signed off on it as, I approve of this having my name on it. Um, now back to creep show one though what's what's the what's the favorite segment of yours if you had to pick your favorite segment probably the last one with all the cockroaches you're creeping up oh yeah that was amazing i like all of them but that one is always it's always has had a we've saved the best for last feel to it oh he got what he freaking deserved too oh. And plus the actual moment where the cockroaches are bursting out of his chest and everything. That yep. was awesome. That, that was, was awesome. amazing. Uh, have you ever watched uh, Just Desserts, which is like the feature length documentary about the making of Creepshow? I've seen parts of the, the, the thing where they said they came in with these bar huge barrels of cockroaches and they just dumped them in like and they just were getting out of control. Yeah. And they also gave the roaches their own trailer. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and then I wonder if they took the same roaches years later and made the movie Joe's Apartment with them. Ooh, I did not wake up today thinking we get a Joe's Apartment reference. <laughs> Imagine working with live roaches. 
I don't want to. Like, how do you clean that up? That's my question. Like, what do you do? Like, after you're done with them, do you do you just try to? All right, let's get them back in the barrels. Come on, storm, storm before they infest. And now there's an infestation. Fuck! And then you gotta then you gotta bomb the room for like a month with like intense chemicals. So intense that if you step inside, your lungs are probably gonna collapse. Yeah, <laughs> standing into that one basement in Chernobyl, it's like, and you're dead. Yep. Yeah, yeah Creepshow is a great one. Um, have you ever seen Cat's Eye? Cat's Eye, yes. Yeah. I, I saw that one when I was in middle school. And I did order a couple Stephen King Blu-rays that were on the cheap on Amazon in the hopes that they would get here in time to watch and prep for this. But in a cruel twist of fate, they're going to arrive tomorrow. Um, and Cat's Eye is one of them. But I, I do remember really enjoying it. The two stories it was based on, uh, The Ledge and Quitters Incorporated. I don't know. If Quitters Incorporated is amazing. Yeah. Those were two really vivid short stories. And while I think the movie took a more humorous route with them, I still think they did a good job with it. Oh, yeah. The Ledge to this day, it's like, I mean, I'm afraid of heights. And some of the descriptions in that short story are just like, oh, no. Yeah. I'm not afraid of heights, I think. Ugh, no. Yeah, it still, it still takes you back. Like, like you're just like, fuck this. Um, I'm just kind of going through the list of Stephen King movies here, seeing if there's anything else I want to bring oh, up. Oh, Children of the Corn. Love the short story. I did not like the first movie, but I understand the appeal of it. And then I also saw the two, I think it was the 2009 remake of it. And that's one of the worst things I've ever seen. Now, there's a short film on YouTube. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Disciples of the Crow, which is a blueprint of. I've always known about that, but I've never actually seen it. It's creepy. I was I was introduced to it by by a Facebook friend yesterday, and he was like, "Check these out. You're so much better than the movie. It's only about twenty minutes." I watched it, and I was just like, "Holy shit!" It's split up into two segments, like a nine minute segment for the first, and the next one's like another nine or ten minutes. But it's certainly worth it, and it, it takes that less is more approach. It's it's very creepy. It has all the settings of like the church, and you know all the demonic imagery that sort of swells in and out the cornfields it, it's certainly worth your watch <laughs> disciples yeah. of the crow like i i have always seen it on the stephen king imdb page and i've always kind of been curious what is this because even though it is listed as a short from 1984 like this is before like literally everybody and their dog was making short films based <laughs> off of short stories like his imdb page is like 342 movies long because of all those independent short films. So it's like, it's kind of hard to separate what's real, what isn't, what's crap, what isn't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really like that one. Um, and then of course we talked about Dr. Sleep. And so with that, I don't think we've gotten any of Zach's picks yet. So let's- Yeah, let's talk about Zach's picks. Let's make Zach talk. Oh, I don't want to talk. I don't like talking. <laughs> All right, fine. Um, my number one pick is The Running Man. Have any of you ever seen that movie? Once. Once. A long time ago, and I had no idea it was a Stephen King movie. Yeah, yeah. neither did I until was... we were talking one day, and he's just going down the list. He's just like, this, 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 The Running Man. I'm like, hang on, what? Yeah, it was actually based on a book from his Richard Bachman days. He had that pseudonym, Richard Bachman. Uh, the Running Man was one of those books. Uh, Thinner was one of those books. 
Um, the Long Walk was another one. Rage, which we won't talk about. Uh, I feel like there's another one that's escaping me right now. But yeah, there was like four or five books that he wrote under the pseudonym Richard Bachman, and The Running Man was one of them. Yeah, The Running Man is just this over-the-top, ridiculous Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie, of yep. course. And I fucking love it. Um, essentially, Schwarzenegger uh, <clears throat> starts off, he's in a helicopter with, uh, he's part of like this military force or police force. He always is. And the government yep. wants him to fire on these protesters, and he's like, no, I'm no. not going to do that. To hell with you. And the other guys are just like, all right, knock him out. They they continue, they proceed to kill all the protesters and then frame him for it to make him look like an asshole. Throw him in jail. Yep. He escapes from jail um, and then inevitably gets caught again. And now he's thrown into this game show called The Running Man. And this game show, you essentially, it's like a fight to the death arena battle. You're thrown mm -hmm. into these random situations and you have to fight for your life. But because he's like this military expert, <laughs> Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger, he continues to kill and beat the shit out of all these fucking guys with his one-liners and everything. And it's just one hell of a time with a great 80s synth soundtrack. And I fully recommend it. It is beautiful. It is great. God, the you golden, need to watch it. The golden era of Arnold Schwarzenegger right there. We had Terminator, The Predator, you know, The Running Man. And then he, all of a sudden you have Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> I still love those movies. They're ridiculous, but I love them. I would say Arnold Schwarzenegger before Terminator 3, maybe? Was that the last one? I don't know. Yeah. Everything before Terminator 3, I can watch and love. It doesn't matter how ridiculous it is. There's just something about Schwarzenegger that's just awesome. Yeah. Everything after that, it's like, yeah. That actually reminds me. Do you have Escape Plan? Escape Plan? Yeah. No, not yet, but yeah. I do want to get it. Okay. Um, I, I believe it's a lot cheaper now, so I do plan on getting it. Escape Plan was good. Um. I would love to see him and Stallone do more movies than just Expendables and that. I want just just one more. One more just straight up big action movie. I don't care what it is. Make it a monster movie. Make it something. But I need those two in a movie together at least one more time before they pass. Please don't die. Corona, do not kill these men. Uh, nope. uh, well, I mean, Schwarzenegger's safe in his hot tub and cigars. So. Yeah. With, with his donkey, which I find hilarious. <laughs> um um, but yeah, um, other than that, let's see. The Mangler is another one I do love if we're not going to go with it and Shining and Dr. Sleep. Mangler is just, it's so fucking hilarious and stupid that I just love it. And Robert England is hysterical. Buffalo Bill is this raging alcoholic. Have you ever seen the sequels? Wait, there's sequels? Ooh, oh boy. Okay. Um, oh dear. <clears throat> Zach and Rob, strap in for this one because we're going for a ride. How many sequels? I'm ready. There are two, but there's really only one worth mentioning for this conversation. So these movies do not have Stephen King's name on them. Clearly. Uh, <laughs> the first sequel, The Mangler 2, Lance Henriksen plays like the dean of a private school that gets a new high-tech computerized security system oh boy. Okay. that somehow downloads into itself the Mangler 2.0 virus. <laughs> I am not making this up. Uh, the security system then goes evil and basically starts... This basically, it's a killer school. <laughs> so I have a question. What, what does the security system entail? Are there like sentry turrets placed in like corners of the rooms where you can just open fire on people? 
I think so, actually, oh, yeah. Like, I never saw, although I just saw the trailer. You century turrets in a, what is it, a middle school, elementary school, high school? I college? only ever saw the trailer. Oh, okay, so you haven't seen the movie. It's, from my understanding, <laughs> if you've seen the trailer, you've pretty much seen the movie. The virus, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, and then it takes over Lance Henriksen's body, so he has, like, all these cables coming out of his face. And oh, everything. man. And it became virus. Okay, cool. Um, It was virus before, wait. What came out first, virus or this? Uh, let me find out for you. My God. Uh, virus with Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> yes, that was 1999. Okay. And then Mangler Two was 2002. Okay, so virus came out first. So yeah, with it's a ripoff of the virus. A whopping 2.5 out of 10 on IMDb. It's actually wow. gone up since I first learned about this movie in middle school. <laughs> this got like a 1.9 or something like that. Wow. Well, it looks like some people like it. Um. Yeah, a teenager girl mistakenly downloads the Mangler 2.0 computer virus into her high school's new state-of-the-art computer system, and all hell breaks loose. Oh, man. <laughs> um, we go... There's another sequel? Yeah, The Mangler Reborn. Oh, Jesus uh, Starring Reggie Bannister of Phantasm fame. Oh, wow. He plays a guy who pretty much finds the uh, parts from the original Mangler-possessed laundry press. And basically, it starts talking to him, and he has to find people to feed to the mangler. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Scream Factory has released the first mangler on Blu-ray, and from what I understand from Justin, who actually bought it, uh, the transfer is amazing. So let's do hashtag release the mangler trilogy. <laughs> no. No, but the first one, the first one's, uh, the first one is fun. You know, that's the best way I could describe it. It is absolute fun. Everything else, uh, maybe I, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna leave those two alone for right now. I do uh, kind of no. want to look up Mangler too to see how bad it is. I'm sure you. From, do. from what I understand, though, the DVD release from back in the day had a glitch in it that there's just. I, I think it just randomly skips over like a minute of it, like halfway through. Did it download the Mangler virus? I guess so. Jesus Christ. Because, <laughs> like, I know, do you remember, like, back in the days of DVD where it's, like, you had the dual-layer discs and, like, when the laser's, like, switching layers, there's, like, that slight pause that you get when you're watching a DVD. Do you guys remember? Yeah. So it's, like, from what I understand, it's with, for, with the Mangler 2, when it hit that, instead of just continuing, it would just, like, randomly skip over the next minute that it was supposed uh, to. That's lovely. That's pain in the ass. Well, I mean, you get done with the Mangler 2, <clears throat> faster so is it really all that <laughs> good point so yeah you picked the running man what else you got oh um, and the mangler yeah which... running man mangler 1408 i thought was a pretty good one um 1408 was solid yeah um it was it, visuals were pretty damn good the story itself i mean you're working with just a haunted hotel room so i, I thought it was very well executed I've never read the original story. In fact, the only the only Stephen King story I've ever actually read is The Jaunt. Anybody read that one? The Jaunt? Yeah. Yeah. In uh, fact, I believe I'm the one that told you about it. Yeah, you were. It's, it's actually pretty good. Um, but yeah, 1408, I thought it had a lot of great visuals. Um, the story was pretty good. And uh, which ending do you guys prefer? Just out of curiosity. Because if I remember correctly, there was three endings. For 1408? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I never saw... I only ever saw the movie in theaters when it first came out. I have not seen it since. I've only seen it on DVD, so I saw the director's cut. 
I think I saw the director's cut, or, or I only saw one ending. Though, what was the ending on the director's cut? So the, the one in the director's cut, um, what's his name? Uh, John Cusack's character dies. Um, they go to his funeral and everything. Samuel Jackson's character shows up. Um, as he gets in his car, he looks in his rearview mirror, and uh, his character's like kind of there, just burnt up to a crisp in the back or whatever, and it just kind of cuts off there. Oh, okay, yeah, that's it. That's, that's the one that's I saw. Thing I saw. Yeah, I believe the theatrical ending is he actually escapes. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, and then, so, I, I remember hearing there was a third ending, but I can't remember what it was. I think he, uh, I don't know. I believe he might just kill himself, but I'm not 100% sure. Hmm. So, yeah. I need to rewatch it. Like, I remember thinking it started good, but it just kind of lost me towards the end. Um, but enough people like it that I've always been meaning to return to it to give it a second shot. Um, but I, I do remember that was also the same year that The Mist came out, and I really liked The Mist. <clears throat> That's um, a movie I saw parts and clips of. Like, I saw a good chunk of it, like, from, like, almost to the end to the end, because I just found it on. I just, it was one of those things where I saw it, and I was like, I don't want to spoil it, but I just couldn't help but watch the rest of the movie. And then I watched the ending, and I saw the very last scene where the guy just kills his whole family. And and then he sees the army troops come, and he sees all the tanks come to destroy the monsters, and he just like, fuck, I just killed my whole family. And he's, like, yeah. freaking out, screaming and crying. Damn. I have to watch the whole thing from the beginning now because I feel like that's one movie I should really watch. Yeah, it's really good. It's definitely up there for Stephen King movies for me. There are actually two versions. There's a color version, and then on DVD and Blu-ray, they also included a black and white version. <laughs> and it does actually work better in black and white. Because um, I guess Frank Darabont did want it in black and white, but, you know, it's 2007. You're not going to make money with the black and white movie. So the compromise was they let him put the black and white version on the dvd that's fair yeah hmm, interesting yeah those are yeah. my favorite stephen king movies cool yeah i think i think i don't know there's so many movies i have seen and there's so many i haven't seen but it's just tough because he has like i said he's got like a huge body of work and it's not like uh, i mean i mean john carpenter has a lot of works out i mean you can, clive barker's got a lot of works but i mean stephen king is just massive Gantry. process he's like he probably wrote a thousand page novel while we were recording this over the last hour and a half today he probably wrote something yeah uh, and he's also wrote comics before um he's written screenplays as we've discussed some of them earlier um he's done a lot he does I mean, he's done a lot yeah, he keeps himself entertained so yeah no complaints uh, and he's got he's got the talent too. He's got like massive talent. Like, and he has a knack for what he does. And whether you love him or hate him, you can't deny that he's got incredible talent. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, let let let's conclude with this. If you had, to, I know you put Pet Cemetery at the top for movies. It does sound like you've read quite a bit of his actual written work. What would you put at the top of your list for his written work? And you don't have to choose just one. You can choose a few favorites if you want. I really liked reading Salem's Lot. I really liked reading Cujo. I also liked the book Insomnia. That was like one of the first books I read when I was 13 or 14. And that was really well done as a book. And I'm actually surprised that there wasn't a big feature, like big budget movie with Insomnia that was released in contemporary times. Because I feel like that would be really well done. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> I also liked Bag of Bones. You know, it was okay. I mean, it wasn't my favorite of the bunch, but, you know, it's great. It had a soft spot for it. I like the story of it, and it's something a little different. All right. Um, for Cujo, did you ever see the movie? 
that's another one with like Salem's Lot. Like I've seen parts of Salem's Lot and I've seen parts of it, but I've read the book first and I like the book a lot. So, yeah, I, I will say I do think Cujo is a movie that could be remade. Like on one hand, it's really impressive that they were able to get a dog on film <laughs> looking like it's doing the things that it's doing. So it's really impressive from a technical standpoint. Um, but much like with um, Pet Cemetery, the child actor in that one just kills it for me. <laughs> Um, yeah, and they do a complete 180 from the ending from the book. Whereas the kid dies in the book, he lives in the movie. So it's I, I Cujo is one that I think could be remade. It's just a matter of does somebody want to remake it, and do they actually want to do a good job at it? Because at one point there was supposed to be like some kind of Cujo remake where Cujo stood for some sort of robotic dog police tax task force and it's like what is this yeah it's like it takes away from the original plot and the original meaning of it and you know it 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 sort of makes it more goofy instead of how it originally was when it was very really unsettling and really off-putting yeah and it's like a dog getting rabies that could happen (laughs) that's what makes it scary is this story could happen um and then Bag of Bones is one that's always been on my list, but I've never gotten around to reading. Um, never saw the miniseries either with Pierce Brosnan. I heard it was okay. Me, Wes, and a bunch of his friends <laughs> watched it, and we just kept... We did this on Halloween once, and we just kept sitting there going, what the fuck is happening? It's a very confusing and just weird thing where you're just like, why are you doing this? This is so pointless. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was random. Fun time if you have a group, but I wouldn't sit there and watch it alone. It was quite, it probably would have been quite boring. Nah. There was one point yeah. where Zeus was gonna come down from the heavens and start fucking with people. It's like what? Like literally? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why we thought that, but eh, who knows? I feel like certain for, for certain stories they'll work better in literature context or in literary context than they do in movies. Like sometimes you read it and it's it, it gives you more room for your imagination to think and uh, to process different events and apparitions. But then when you see it in person, it's more one-dimensional. You're just kind of like, eh, you know, not how I pictured it. And it's just a little more in your face. And sometimes if it's not executed well, it just becomes bland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. Uh, Zach, any final thoughts from you? Squirrels. And Brandon, any final thoughts from you? Um yeah, actually, I'm surprised we didn't talk about the. I didn't talk about the stand as much as I thought I would, because uh, I do really like the stand. I think the book is really good. I thought Marvel's graphic novel adaptation was really good, and as dated as the 1990s miniseries is, I still think it's pretty good. And I didn't watch the full miniseries in prep for this because I had the Blu-ray coming in, but I did rewatch the opening moments of like all the dead people in the military compound and. Blue, Blue Oyster Colts, Don't Fear the Reapers playing. It's probably one of the most chilling uh, scenes in a Stephen King miniseries. Uh, so yeah, if you haven't read or seen The Stand, I recommend it. Maybe after the whole coronavirus thing has blown over. <laughs> um, you, could literally, you could literally do an entire segment on The Stand itself yeah. because, I mean, there's, there's probably so much depth to it, not to mention it's very, it's there's a lot of work to it. And the movie itself is, you know, three... 350-something minutes long, you know, yeah, if you put six it in hour series, um, Depending on which version of the book you get, because there is the original version, which is like seven or 800 pages, and then there's an expanded version that's the more 
common one that you can find today that's like 1,000 or 1,100 pages around there. Um, it's like that thick and the, uh, I've got the hardcover collection of the graphic novel. That's a tome all of its own. Uh, yeah. It's a hefty story. Um, I think it may actually be his long, the expanded version may actually be his longest work. I think it beat out it by just a couple hundred words. Wow. Uh, yeah. It is massive. But good. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, and CBS All Access was actually in the midst of filming a new 10-part miniseries based on it. Nice. And, and, um, of course, as we all know, film production everywhere has been shut down. Um, so who knows when we're going to see it. <clears throat> sure, I'm sure their marketing department's having a fun time thinking about, okay, so we're going through the coronavirus right now. How are we going to market the stand where the whole world gets killed off by a virus. Yeah. And, uh, and to do it in a way that's, that doesn't, you know, trigger a lot of people to get very angry or very uh, upset or very offended by it to the point where there's you know massive protesting and rioting or, uh, you know, massive uh, social media shaming over yeah. the film. But I mean, one advantage they do have is it is CBS all access. And does anybody actually care about anything that's on CBS all access? Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> and I, I watched the new Twilight Zone recently. It was a How thing. Is it? Um, a very, very mixed bag is what I'll call it. Mm. It obviously doesn't come anywhere close to how good the original was, but I mean, it, it, it never had a chance. Not, like, nothing ever has a chance of living up to that. Um, but I thought as a whole, it suffered from a lot of it felt like too many cooks in the kitchen. Like it's, it's like the creative, it's like everybody on the creative team was never on the same page on this is what this story is going to be about. That sucks when that happens. Cause when you yeah. have a great idea and it's corrupted by several people that try to interject their own input and their own ideas, then it just becomes like a mishmash of ideas where it's like you're putting five skits into one show yeah. instead of having just one consistent show. Like there was one episode where it's just like, because like I'm, even the original Twilight Zone was not very subtle, but you know exactly what the lessons to take away from those episodes are. You, you know what it's about. Whereas this, this new one, there are episodes where it's like the episode's about one thing and then it gets to the ending and it's like, oh, so that's what this was about. And then the ending narration comes in and is about a different theme. So it's like, uh, oh, so that's what this was about. Okay. And it takes the fun. It takes the fun anticipation out of it, and it becomes more like ah, uh, like, and and then you don't really get excited to watch it again, and you're just probably left there like disappointed or just left empty. Yeah. Um. There were a couple that were good, um. But a lot of it comes down to is. How much do you want a CBS All Access account? Yeah. Which, I mean, if you have a free trial, it's probably worth a look just for the ones that are decent, but there are, there are some bad ones in there. Um, now, yeah, I, I do kind of want to end this conversation on a positive note rather than a negative note. No, I totally hear you. I think, I think Stephen King's movies, though, I think they, they always leave the door open for extra interpretation as yeah. to what happened. And they also 
give a different lesson for each film as well as different metaphors that might be relevant to those watching the films in that contemporary time frame that the film was either made in or the time it represented. Yeah. Um, oh, we didn't have, we lost Mark, so we didn't get his question to the podcast. Uh, Zach, you said you haven't really, you've only read one of his stories, so you kind of have your answer already by default. And Rob, I think you already answered this as well with Insomnia. But is there a Stephen King story that you think should be adapted into a movie or TV show that hasn't yet? I think Insomnia, definitely. I'd love to see Insomnia. That, yeah. That's one that's that's been on my mind for a long time. And I've always wondered why they haven't you know, done something with that one. Because that was it was one of the first works I've read when I was in, I think, sixth or seventh grade. And, and I even did a report on it and got like an A-plus on it. That's how much I loved it. Nice. Yeah, I just thought the jaunt was a very interesting concept, and I haven't seen anything like that put into film, or just video for that matter, so I would love to see that be turned into a movie. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, there are a lot of stories from The Night Shift that I really liked that haven't been turned into movies yet. Um, I do wish we got George A. Romero's version of the girl who loved Tom Gordon, but we're never going to get that now, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, uh, the Monkey is a short story that I really liked. That's in the Skeleton Crew collection. Um, there was another... Oh, 10 O'Clock People was a good one. But if, if, if there's one that I've always wanted to see... It's the short story Survivor Type, which that was originally going to be the mm. pilot for the recent Creepshow series, but they decided to do Great Matter instead. And I thought overall they did a good job with it. Maybe um, season two. Maybe season two. But it's about this guy who is in a plane crash. He's stuck on an island. And in order to survive, in order to survive he basically has to eat himself. Gruesome. Yeah. Uh, that sounds pretty awesome. awesome yeah yeah there have been there have been like independent short films based on it but there has yet to be like an official adaptation of it and that's one that i think would be really gruesome and yeah it's really good a, a nice paradox to eat yourself in order to survive that's that that's a paradox and a half right there that's yeah. fucking rough too, but um, I believe somebody. I, I remember looking up if that was actually a valuable option to do if you were in a survival situation like that. It's not. Don't do it. Like there are much. Yeah, you'll just kill yourself faster if you try eating yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. He kind of learns that eventually the, the in the story. Way. Yeah. Yes, yeah, self cannibalism. It's like what part? What part does he cut? Where, where does he start? I believe it was his foot. Oh. I start? Maybe the thigh, I don't know. Not the foot, because I need that for walking. Oh, man. You're, you're just, you're literally like, shooting yourself in the foot it, with it, that. It's been a long time yep. since I've read the story, but I think what made him go with the foot was I think it got injured or something, so his foot was gone anyway. I guess. Because, um, I mean, you know, you get, you're in a plane crash, you're bound to land with a couple of bumps and bruises somewhere. Oh, no, you'll land in perfect condition. It's um, fine. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Survivor Type, that's probably my pick. Um Hopefully Creep Show season two does it. Uh, there was actually a little Easter egg in one of the episodes. Of, I don't know if you've seen the new Creep Show series. Mm -hmm. yet. Not it's really good. Um, some are kind of okay. There's only one that I didn't like, but most of them are actually very strong. Uh, mm -hmm. 
so I highly recommend it. But there is one episode where it's like you see some comic books like sort of like blowing in the wind outside and one of them has a cover of a guy on an island. And I'm just like, I, I haven't gone back to actually pause it and really look at it. But I'm just like, I bet that's a nod to the fact that we're going to do Survivor type at one point. So, Excuse me. Um, so with that, Rob, thank you once again for joining uh, us you're on this podcast. It was a pleasure. You're very welcome. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on again. I had a great time in an, in an in-depth discussion with all the Stephen King works, movies, yeah. and literature. And yeah, I feel like we barely scratched the surface, and that just shows how much Stephen King work oh, exists. Oh yes, there's so much. It's it's multiplying. <laughs> um, it's, but it's but it's still fun. To, it's, a, it's such a fun subject to tackle because yeah. it's definitely one of the most inspiring, inspirational horror authors of the 20th century. Yeah, and who, who knows? There's so much. We may do a Stephen King part two later down the line. If we do that, we'd love to have you again as sort of like our go-to Stephen King, uh, Stephen King go-to guy. Kind of. I'm, ab- I'm absolutely down for that. I'm completely 100% down for that. All right. Um, <laughs> before we sign off, um, any social media that you want to plug? Where can the people find you? Oh, that you can find me at cucurbitophobia.com. You could also find Cucurbitophobia on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Bandcamp. And uh, yeah, I have some new material in the works for this Halloween. So visit Cucurbitophobia.com for more information on that. Yep. And yeah, I, I got some of the uh, Bandcamp emails recently. So it's, yeah, you're keeping busy and I'm glad you are. Thank you very much. You guys are doing great. And I'll uh, be more than happy to continue to spread the word and spread the horror out there. Nice. Thank you very much, sir. And then from us at the Nightmares Podcast, you can find us at Midwest Horror Network on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and... Slasher. And Slasher. All right. That's it from us to you all for now. Um, Stay safe out there. Thank you very much. You too. All right. Have a great night.